Hello and welcome to another episode of Ideaprov um, with your host Mike Pedersen. I'm here um, with a, a friend of a friend of mine that I met online from across the world. His name's John. So, John, how you doing? Introduce yourself. You know, uh, so what's your, what's your day's been like? Mike, thanks so much for having me. I'm um, really great. I, I mentioned to you a couple of moments ago. You and I have something beautiful in common, and that is one-year-old daughter. And and uh, the day for me started eons ago. <laughs> you probably can relate, but you don't really get to choose your hours um, on this landscape. So it's been. Great, but I've been up for hours, my friend. Hours having an action-packed morning, chasing her around the house. Chasing around the house is it, it's. It's a phenomenal experience. I know mine, um, she's just started walking maybe about eight or nine, uh, say eight or nine feet, so probably like two or three meters by herself now. Wow. So she's really starting to step out there um, and kind of explore her world. So I'm sure you can attest it's a really fun situation, but. It's a game changer. Um, in relation to her dad though, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and, <laughs> and what you're all into. Uh, so yeah, so whether she likes it or not, <laughs> her dad's a muso, so it's funny, I've been doing that since I was about nine, it's an incredibly musical household, so what I do is I play music, um, I'm a big brother of um, three lovely younger siblings, um, I also specialize in positive psychology, a little bit of neuroscience, innovation, workplace creativity, and um, I run my own company, my company's called Transcend, and I sort of specialize in, I, I guess you'd say all things human potential is where my skill set lies. Yeah, human potential is, is <laughs> it's really funny that you, that you talk about human potential because it's so, uh, I guess, underutilized. I guess people don't really think about it in, you know, as much as they can. You know, they always aspire to be ambitious or, you know, make more money or do something. But um, to maximize their potential is something that I think everybody strives for. Yeah, it's a funny one. People, you know, depending on who you're talking to, I've always um, been very conscious about the way I frame things up because if it starts to sound a little bit too overly ambitious, you can lose people, you know? So saying to people, it's all inside you, the power is there, you know, all, all I have to do is say a couple of magic phrases and it'll unlock your genius. If you talk that way to people off the bat, um, you can throw them. And so I've always found there's a bit of a balance around sort of helping people to understand, of course, we all have a bunch of natural skills and resources and strengths that we can bring into our exchanges, but it doesn't mean that you get those things refined without heaps of hard work. And so there's always that balance between pretending that you have a skeleton key that's going to unlock everything for everyone, but also, you know, taking them on, on their own learning journey and getting them involved in the work that needs to be done to reach that place we're talking about. Yeah. Now, now with that, I, I could tell like this is this is your this is your passion. This is this is your jam. Like, so <laughs> tell us about transcend. You know, you know, give us give us the juicy details. Of course. Well, it's funny how it started for me. You know, because I've been a muso my whole life, it meant that I've forever been up on stage in front of people, um, trying to entertain. And I, I sort of use that word loosely because I realized in the years that followed, it's it's not just entertain. It's more about influence. You know. So for me. If I'm writing a song or if I'm jumping around, it's about trying to have an impact. And so for ages, I was developing that skill set um, without realizing that it's something that could be used not just in a in a in a pub or a nightclub, you know, or a bar, um, but with with people and um, helping to influence them in a way um, that's hopefully positive. And so it's one of those things that happened for me quite organically, Mike. You know, I, I think you'd find a lot of people working in learning who would tell you that they have a creative skill set. You know, a lot, a lot of my friends who do it have backgrounds as actors and they're used to that whole idea of 
being up on stage and, and being up in front of people. And so I think with that comes this sort of natural, these natural abilities that you deploy without even thinking. Um, but for ages, for ages, it was weird because I, I felt like I was pretending. So, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of in the territory of imposter syndrome, but probably worse than that for me. I think what I was doing was I had this idea of in the daytime, teach people things so that you can get the money and then use that money to record and play the music, you know? And so for a few years, I was sort of le leading this, um, I was leading this double life where I thought that I had to do one thing in order to do the other. And um, it wasn't until about a decade ago that I had this kind of powerful breakthrough where I, where I realized that in many ways, it's all the same thing. You know, it's not, it's not about switching hats or jumping camps, it's about, what are the things that come to you naturally? What are the things that energize you? You know, where is it that you feel like you're adding value? And how is it that you're showing up in a way that feels authentic? And, and as I started to realize that, it made me a lot more comfortable with, with, with everything that I do. You know, it's, it's not do one thing so that you can do the next. It's just do it all because that's how you roll and that's, that's where the joy comes from. Yeah, it, it's remarkable to say that because I think there's a lot of people in that same situation. Right, they, they feel like they have to live this double life. I, I have to you know, pay the bills during the day and then I'm, I'm finally able to enjoy myself at nighttime. And oftentimes it leads to this constant tug of war because you feel you're not being authentic to yourself. You feel like you have to, you have to put on this mask every time you go out so that way you can do what you're supposed to do and be the person you believe society wants you to be. Um, meanwhile, in the background, you're like you have this nagging and burning desire to do um, to do X, to, to be you know an actor, to be a, a footballer, to be whatever it is, um, and you just kind of have to go for it. Um, yeah. So so transcend kind of does that on its own. Is it is it you? Is it a group of people? Um, how, how does yeah, that work? So it's it, it really is it really began as a as a one man band, um, but I have a, lot, a whole bunch of people in my network who I now you know gleefully refer to as business partners and downstream suppliers, um, particularly from a collaboration and a design perspective. So, you know, when it comes to the delivery, that's that's the thing that I do. I know that's where my my sort of strengths are, and that's my preference. I get a lot of energy from being in front of people, and you know, in, in many ways, I'm that sort of textbook stereotyped. Um, extroverts uh, but yeah transcend is a is a solo enterprise but with a lot a lot of people sort of that i that i move in i suppose a territory of brainstorm collaboration innovation and as i say um, downstream supplying particularly from a design perspective because i don't always have time to sort of be at the laptop punching out the slides or you know ref refining the admin side of things and so um, when, when I'm proper busy, when I'm in my peak periods, so I'm, I'm doing most of the talking, and then I got people helping me with the uh, with the back end stuff, so to speak. <laughs> oh, wonderful, wonderful! Now, is it local to just Australia, or I mean, are you looking to go everywhere? Oh man, I'm I'm so I'm very very mobile. I'm sort of happy to say that I've done some stuff in New Zealand, a little bit in Asia Pacific. Um, I've got some business partners in the UK, and we're forever talking about doing stuff on each other's shores. And then, annoyingly, I had my first. European gig snatched away from me this year in the pandemic. Um, I was supposed to speak at a conference in Croatia on choice theory and that one of course got removed. But you know, it's kind of funny. It brings me to one of those funny points that I've been making this year. I've been proactively massaging things out of my um, vocabulary. And one of them is the whole idea of supposed to, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are doing that this year. I was supposed to go to Croatia. I was supposed to, you know, be on a yacht. I was supposed to be at my, you know, friend's 
Christmas shindig or whatever their banter is. And um, it's, a, it's a dangerous decision because what you're doing is you're choosing to be aggressively dissatisfied with your reality, you know? And so it's one of those things. I know it's easier said than done and for many it's a lot to chew on, but yeah, it's one of those things I've been trying to, to massage out of my vernacular this year. Nothing is supposed to, everything is what it is. And what it is, is I think very important for us to all come to, together on that realization because I don't think anybody predicted the pandemic. So it's the concept of supposed to, like it's irrelevant. You know, don't, don't put yourself in that box. You're called, it's living out of phase, you know, and people talk about it all the time, you know, living out of phases, we do it every day. People say, oh, geez, I miss the good old days. You know, some of them will roll deep and I go all the way back to when they were kids and didn't have any responsibilities, financial, you know, they say, geez, it was better when I didn't have to think about anything and everything was served up. You know, all they, all they do, it's at the micro level, they say, oh, it's Monday. Damn, I wish it was the weekend, you know, or of course there's the other dangerous end of the spectrum, which is living towards that mirage that doesn't exist you know and you hear people talk about it all the time the past is dead the future doesn't exist you've got to activate the now but i think for a lot of people it's just it's buzz talk and it's garbage and it's um one of those things that's easier said than done you know it's kind of funny because i'm i'm from the world of positive psychology um a lot of the interventions that exist they, they don't resonate with people unless they're in a headspace to to get on board with them i heard a really cool uh, analogy once was from this rock star I was hanging out with her name's Mel Neal and she said if you're someone that wants to study positive psych um, a good way of thinking about it is everyone's hardwired for negativity and a lot of us know that there's a survival mechanism there's all of this sort of limbic brain stuff going on we're wrestling against thousands of years of evolution old buggy wiring in our brain designed to keep us alive and keep us safe and so we're constantly scanning the world for threat reactions you know so it's easy to look for bad stuff it's that's that's easy so Mel Neal said to me studying positive psych it's like walking up an escalator that's going backwards you ever done that, Mike? Yeah, you, climb, yeah. you climb up the wrong way. Uh -huh. And it was kind of a good way to think about it because the idea is if you're walking up an escalator that's going backwards, well, firstly, it's it's harder, it's more work. But then secondly, if you stop, if you stay still and do nothing, then of course, logic dictates you're going to slide back down again. And so I think that's why we don't have millions of people walking around deliriously happy all of the time because, you know, peripherally, we have an idea about what we need to do to push up those levels of optimism and well-being but it boils down to work and people go i get what i'm supposed to do but i can't be bothered or they'll put one of the interventions in play try for two or three days find that it isn't working and then give up again you know and so it's one of those funny things that um it, it takes energy and i think that's part of i think that's part of why i exist is trying to help people um latch onto these and then weave them into their day-to-day -day in a way that's organic so the impact starts to stick. Yeah, and you were talking about, um, you know, how to weave that into your, to your uh, you know, to your day-to-day -day life. So that brings us to, to our topic is how do you identify your life's work? Um, what's that thing that's, that's going to leave a legacy maybe after you're long, you know, long and gone? Um, and it's really important because my first my first thought about this is 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 that one is there only one life's work is there multiple that you can have throughout different parts of your life and then you have to find a way to be able and you spoke to this a few minutes ago is is to weave that into your natural way of of being on a on a regular basis so that way it doesn't feel like work but just to start to start off the conversation 
where would how would you feel somebody would just initially get started on that just dive back to their internal values see what's kind of important to them and go from there yeah it's, it's such a great question there were there's so many tangents that occurred to me as you asked it you know one, one of the things that you framed as part of your question was is there is there one life's work and that was sort of the thing that I wanted to launch from because I'm quite certain that there isn't you know it sort of brings me to something that I heard about recently and I found it kind of mind-blowing you know people talk a lot about meaning making and the legacy piece is the safest way to do it what legacy do I want to leave behind you know without being grim Mike what what I like to see inscribed on my tombstone is what is one way of putting it but I heard, I heard of a family friend recently who went to a funeral and it struck her that there were things about the obituaries or the, the speeches, for want of a better way of putting it, where entire sections of this man's life were deleted. They spoke about his early years and they, they missed out some three or four decades and then spoke again about, you know, his, his twilight years, so to speak. And so it's a funny way of framing it, but I think it's a matter of perspective, you know, someone's legacy has got to be what's real for them in any given season. But I think a mistake that some people make is they decide from inception what they think their legacy is supposed to be. And then if their life unfolds on a different tangent, then they allow that to contribute to the idea that they failed, that they've let themselves down, that they haven't achieved what they were supposed to, um, you know, versus people who say, hey, I've had multiple legacies spawned in multiple chapters of my life, depending on where I am and what my priorities are. You know, I've seen some of my dear friends who are, you know, academic, obsessed with their career, driven driven as hell to, to be ballers at work. And then all of a sudden they turn into mothers and their whole priority shifts. So, you know, I, I, think, I think legacies are allowed to evolve. They should stay in a state of flux. Um, and it's about the science of meaning making. You know, it's funny. People, people I talk to often who are stuck in their roles, you know, they'll, they'll say to me, oh, I've been here for 10 years, I've been here for 15 years, nothing's changing, I don't know why I'm doing it. And usually they'll admit to me that they've laid traps. They'll say, oh, what happened was they kept throwing money at me and so I had to stay. Or they'll say to me, oh, I developed this skill set that's only inside this industry, and so how could I possibly jump somewhere else? You know, even though I don't like it, this is all that I know how to do now. This is all people recognized me as. And um, I think the mistake, of course, is that they're not thinking about, firstly, transferable skills and how diverse they are and how you can jump ship all over the place if you've got the courage to do it. Uh, but the other one is, have they spent time trying to connect their own personal values to what it is that their role is supposed to achieve? You know, and I talk about this with people all the time. It's such a it's such a vapid decision to say, I go to work to get the money. I go to work so I can get the money. And of course, we know there are billions of people who live their lives that way um, because it's, it comes with such a courageous or vulnerable step to say, this gig isn't fulfilling me in any way. Maybe there's something else that I could be doing that would both get me the money, but also directly impact my levels of optimism and well-being, you know, something that I could find meaning in that also pays the bills. I want to jump back to something that you talked about because I think people are very underutilized in how their skills can transfer to other places. You know, they feel like they have their, this one bucket of skills or they, like you said, they keep throwing money at me, but finding different ways to use those skills, you know, you might've been 
you know, a, a writer or something like that. And so originally you might have been writing columns or something like that, but that doesn't mean that you can't write reviews or, or change how you, how you do that or all of a sudden become a proofreader or, or an editor or get out of the writing space and observe something in marketing or, or, or a different avenue. There's so many different avenues and I think people are just unaware of how to pivot appropriately. Or not, I, I can't even say appropriately because I, I can't say that any pivot is going to be t technically a negative or a bad pivot. You just have to learn from it if it's not the intended one that you had originally desired. You called it, Mike, and you know what it is. It's the fear of the pivot as well, you know? So I think I totally agree with you. Some people don't know how to pivot appropriately. Some people are paralyzed. They're terrified to pivot because they think, what if I try and it fails? You know, what if I do this and I get punked? What if I lose money? What if, you know, what if I'm on the scrap heap? What if I have to start again? What if I fail? What if I embarrass myself? What if I'm not good at that thing that I thought I was good at? And so I think there are so many people who, uh, let's say they arrive on the precipice of the pivot. <laughs> they're on they're on the summit or the or the the um the cliff face, but they don't jump, you know. And so we hear about it all the time. I spend so much time talking about innovation, and a lot of it's got to do with, you know. I heard I read this really cool article a couple of years ago. The title was "The Value of Shit Ideas," right? The amazing value of shit ideas. And I think it's what happens. People get paralyzed by the idea they might get judged or fail, and so they don't do it. You know, they don't jump. And I think. One of the pieces of advice that I'm forever passionately pushing at people, regardless of what phase of their career they're at, is you've got to try a whole bunch of different things. You know, there are ideas of things that you think you should be doing, and then there are things that actually energize you. I had a really funny experience. I worked at Red Bull Energy Drink for about four years. And, you know, the reason why I aggressively pursued marketing was because I had this assumption. I'm a muso, I'm creative, so I'm supposed to be working in, in marketing. And there are things about that job that I love, but there were things about that job that I found incredibly challenging. And it organically led me into advertising and a couple of other things. And I realized very quickly that even though these types of industries sound creative, there were lots of things about the tasks you know, behind that facade that were very process driven and spreadsheet focused and analytical and that's not my jam at all. And so to be quite honest with you, Mike, I sucked at it. I wasn't good at marketing. I wasn't good at advertising, but how could I have possibly ever known that, you know, unless I went and did it. And I think that's sort of part of what I'm pushing here is that you've got to try so many things up. You know, I've jumped insurance, fin services, sales, finance, marketing, advertising, music, theater, film, television, trying to work out what's the stuff that not just I'm good at, but what are the things that naturally energize me that I look forward to doing that I feel like I'm making a contribution in? Because once you find those things, that's the gig, you know? the um, I saw a beautiful interview a couple of years ago from a, person who was talking about his daughter who had been paralyzed. She was in a car accident on her way to work. And then she found meaning working in a childcare center. And as part of the interview, he was talking about his daughter and how much she loves going in to see these kids every day. And in essence, he just says that she comes home in the best mood every day because that's what makes a person happy enjoying their job. That's what makes a person happy. And I think I guess what you and I are both agreeing on here is you're allowed to have both. You're allowed to have the job that gets the money, but also allow that thing to be a thing that makes you happy. And if, you, if you're someone who's not in that situation, then you gotta mix it up. You're, you're one of those people on the precipice of the pivot and you gotta jump. Yeah, you have to jump. And I think the, the other thing, and you touched on it perfectly, is 
I think you also don't have to hold yourself to a standard that's unattainable as well. Like if you're gonna jump, there's gonna be times that you're going to fail. It's similar to how you ride a bike or something like that. You're like, you're gonna fall down. This is, this is what's gonna happen. Like for you, it was plenty of things regarding marketing or, or finance or insurance. For me, it was, I want to do engineering for a little bit. And I thought for the longest time, like engineering was gonna be my jam. Like I love to figure out things. I was super analytical. And then I got there and it was all like MATLABs and spreadsheets and, and AutoCAD and, I was like, okay, this this isn't the fun stuff. And the only time I got to do fun stuff was after, it was like two and a half, three years of doing something where we got to design a roller coaster. And I said, ooh, okay, okay we finally get to do something fun. And you got to move the little ball and, and you know, you actually got tangible with it. But it was after that one, let's say what, uh, probably four week period where we got to design that, it was back to all the other boring stuff. Like, I can't deal with this ratio. That's out of balance for me. It's not working. It's not gonna happen. Um, yeah, it's so you cool. have to kind of like, like force, force something on you that even if it has a little bit of speck of interesting for you, mm. test it out. Cause you, you never it. know how that skill set is gonna apply to where you might wanna go. And I think it's really clever that you said ratio too, because it's absurd to assume that there's a job out there where 100% of the gig is perfect and you love it all. You know, of course, there are going to be parts of every role that stretch you, that you find challenging, that are draining, that are, that are unpleasant. But I think ratio is a smart way of looking at it. So, you know, can you say to yourself, hey, I enjoy 85 to 90% of this gig? If so, maybe you're in the right place, you know, and that's... That's one of the things that I love helping people with, unlocking clues to talent with strengths. What are your strengths? Have you thought about them? You know, and are you in a role that lets you deploy them up to 75 or 85% of the time? And deploying them is, is another thing because it's, you know, identifying, what we're talking about is trying to identify those things that where your core values match the topic that you're good at or the, the action that you're good at. And there's also a need for it. So I'm thinking, how do you marry the three kind of ideas, right? So you know what your values are, you know what you're important. We've highlighted that. Now, like, how do you get, you're testing things out. You're trying to find out what you like. How do you get involved with those people and, and find out what you like? Is it, is it just a, a spray and pray type of methodology? Is, do you think that there's a, there's a format, there's a method for trying to kind of like narrow down the focus or you just kind of get involved in that scene or industry any way you can? Yeah, it's, it's such a cool way to put it, the spray and pray. I think, um, I think spray and pray has a bit to do with it. You know, you're allowed to be strategic. You're allowed to say, hey, these are the areas that I'm gonna spray and play in. But you know, it's kind of funny. It's about measuring it based on you know, people talk about value. Something that has value for you may not have value for someone else. And so often it's to do with how people are responding to it. Uh, a few of my really good mates work in comedy, you know, and that's sort of that's sort of the whole gig. You stand up, you say a bunch of stuff, you see which things people respond to, and then from that it starts to inform how it is that you weave together a show, you know. So they might do 10 shows that are a bit average, measuring where people laugh and how it is that they react. And then from that, they're able to take those 10 shows and massage it into one killer show so that when they get to show 11, you know, they're on fire. And so again, I guess we're looping back around to that fail piece. You've got to be confident that trying these things out, some of them are gonna work, some of them aren't, but we're at that beautiful place. You know, our friend, uh, well, I wanna say Theodore Roosevelt, but it wasn't him. There's this beautiful quote Edison, I haven't failed, I just found 10,000 ways that won't work. 
you know, you got you, you got to get there. And so I think it's kind of cool. We seem to have a theme in play, but that's what it is. You know, if it is spray and pray, it's a strategic spray and pray with lessons. Where are the places that I sprayed and nothing happened? How is it that people are responding? Where, how is it that I'm driving or creating value based on the way people are responding to it and, and allowing that to inform the place that you play in? Yeah, and you brought up a good point is that like you can use the, the spray and paint method if you want, but I think it's it's more vital to one, like we talked about, don't hold yourself to an exceptionally high standard, but then two, to review those decisions that you made, right? So create, if, if you're going to start something new, you're gonna jump into a new industry, try a new role, see, see what's happening, maybe test it out as a, as a side hustle. You can say, okay, I'm gonna do this side hustle for three months. And then at the three month mark, step back and say, okay, what did I like about doing this? What did I not like about doing this? What parts of it do I like? Can I take from one area and give to another? Can I increase this? Is there a market for for this particular sliver of what I tried to do? And if none of it is what you want to do, well then screw it, go do something else. But I think you, you, you do have to take that time and that moment to dial it back and say, hey, let's let's review this to see if this this still makes sense for me. Absolutely. You know, what's working? And it's, it's funny too because it, on the other side of the coin as well, you might say, okay, there's this thing that I've been doing that seems to be adding value and people are responding to it, but I don't like it or it's draining me, you know, it's a, or I feel like it's not satisfying me. It's clashing with my values. I, it's feeling a bit soulless. So again, you might have found something that seems to add value, but if it's not adding value for you, then that's probably the wrong thing as well. And so it's the, uh, it's, it's the idea of being comfortable with being uncomfortable and just that whole safe to fail experiment landscape you know how many of the experiments am i willing to lop out until i really start to land on what it is that i'm supposed to be doing and, and to that like how would you feel if somebody was going through this on a on a, on a regular basis and and they said well i found something that i'm i'm super you know, I find super valuable, it's in line with my values, but I don't feel that there is a need for it out in the market. Yeah, it's interesting. How, 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 do, you, how do you move through that? Yeah, well, it's so funny because if you ask any artist that question, you know, I'm sure they'd be able to pounce on it because I've been I've been playing music since I was nine years old. You know, I've been writing songs since I was 19. I have a mild underground fan base that exists mostly of my family and friends, you know? Um, and so, and so it's one of those things where I would say to you, you, you can never abandon those things. You know, if there's something that you love that fills your soul, that adds value, you can't stop doing that. You know, it's about what am I doing to ignite a bunch of different things that will allow me to do it all. And that's sort of, I guess it's a funny way to loop around on where you and I started today. You know, once upon a time, I thought that I was, but then I realized that it all starts to feed itself and in its own way it's all very much the same thing so I would say never abandon that thing you know never abandon that thing that that you love that adds value for you just because it's not turning into coin um, it doesn't mean that it's not enriching your soul in in so many other ways that I could argue would be more profound yeah and, and like from a from a kind of a spiritual level you, you, you know you spoke about it is I think People have this misinformed perception that they feel like the values that I have are supposed to translate into my life's work and then I'm going to struggle for 
six months or a year and then all of a sudden I'm going to you know finally hit it big and make millions of dollars because it's my passion my life's work and you know I'm gonna write X amount of books and become a zillionaire um, and, and, and then at that point in time like my entire world is going to be happy it probably is not gonna work like that you know and but at the same time like you have to find the, the fact that because these things are in your valuable wheelhouse that maybe your quote-unquote destiny isn't for you to be the next Jeff Bezos and be worth a trillion dollars but guess what every day which you wake up you're going to be pleasant and happy because you get to go out there and be your true authentic self as much as possible to the world on the money and you know we, we've all heard about how dangerous it is to be the type of person that only celebrates the goal and not enjoy the pursuits there's so many people that are super successful that will tell you that once they get there once they arrive at the summit that they're miserable you know because they were delaying their own gratification or the idea that once they got there things would be great then they land it and it's it's soulless you know and so then they go well what's next or they say is this all there is or is this what i was striving for and so i think that's one of those powerful breakthroughs is sure you're, you're allowed to high five yourself if and when you reach the goal but if you're not enjoying anything about its pursuits then you're making a decision to not enjoy the majority of your time you know the, the, the sand is racing through the hourglass and you've you've made a decision to have a shit time until it's just about to run out uh, which fascinates me i was talking to my guitarist last week about this you know we don't gig much in the pandemic but even when we do gig we only gig a handful of times in any given year which means that 95 or 98 percent of our time in the project is about writing and rehearsing and recording music so it's all happening you know in the background it's that whole iceberg illusion it's all happening below the surface and every now and then you might exhibit and so I guess that's the point is if you're not enjoying the work that builds towards the goal itself, then you're working on the wrong thing. You're wasting your time. Yeah, I, I couldn't, couldn't have said it better because I think there's a majority of people that will say, you know, for example, if, if you're writing a book, it's everybody loves to glorify at the end, you have this wonderful paperback or, or a hardcover book that you, you've spent the last five years writing. Um, that has this monumental, you know, revelations for all of humanity to become better, and, you know, walk into the cosmos, and you know, it's it's this glorious mystical thing with the ray of sunshine coming from the from the stars above. But nobody ever talks about that. Two in the morning, up with a cup of coffee, you can't get past chapter number four. You know, the writer's block there, or the fact that you feel like it's never going to get published and you can never get a publisher. It's it's those moments that you have to really like love what you're doing to be able to continue. And so I guess my next question is, how do you know when you really love what it is or if it's just a phase of what you're going through? <laughs> or, or do you even know? Or, do you, or is it one of those things you just, you know, you test out? Well, you know what, it's kind of cool because if it, even if it is just a phase, if you love it, then what are you in the middle of there? You're in the middle of a love phase, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that either. Um, you know, when we unlock clues to talent, the, the things, the main things I like to talk about is, you know, energy. Do you feel energized while you're doing it? You know, are you pining to do it? You know, is there that longing before you get started, you look forward to it? Um, once it's completed, are you pumped up? You know, when, when it's over, do you feel like jumping around and climbing the walls? And then the other big one um, that gets chucked around a lot 
one, you might have heard the term, Mike, is the idea of flow. You know, flow is a fascinating thing. It's, it's something that demands a level of skill, but what happens is when you're in the middle of it, the steps seem to come to you naturally in a way where you almost transcend yourself and you don't even realize that you're doing it. And then you lose time. You look up and you go, wow, I've just completed that task and I hardly remember doing it. And it's a funny thing because people will say to me, that they go through their whole life never experiencing flow, but it's a cool thing to look for because if you find that you're doing activities that involve flow, then you're really tapping into something. And I've heard some cool examples, you know, people who are, are skiers talk about it. So you might be shredding a diamond run, you know, doing a 90 degree cliff with your snowboard and you, you get to the end and you're scared and you go, whoa, that, that took 20 minutes and I don't remember doing it. I just smoked it without thinking. Um, guitarists talk about it, you know, while they're shredding a solo, they kind of go out of their body and their fingers are moving, but they're not thinking about the fretboard or any of the fingering. And I spoke to a lovely lady two years ago who told me that she achieves flow when she's knitting, right? So she'll be there punching out a, a pashmina or something and then she'll look up and this this thing is knitted and it's in front of her, you know? So I think these types of things are, you know, trying to unlock clues to talent, working out, you know, am I in the right space? Um, it, it doesn't matter if it's if it's a thing that turns into a breadwinner or if it's a thing that, as you say, is just a moment in time or a chapter. Um, either way, for my money, it's, it's where you're supposed to be at. Yeah, and, and like that was gonna be my, my next point because I've, I've experienced that a couple of times and there's a couple of different portions of my life in which I can get to that flow, that zen state where everything makes sense, you're on top of your game, you're, you know, you're 100% prepared, you're ready, and you're excellent at whatever you do and everything else melts away. You know, like uh, oftentimes athletes will get into what they call the zone. The same thing where they just, they feel that they can't be stopped and they just go off on these mountain things. Same thing like we were talking about with musicians, they just, they just lose it for a minute and a half, don't even know where they are and they just rip off something that's amazing. So I think we, what people have to kind of find is what is that thing in their life that allows them to get in the zone? Maybe it's talking with other people. Maybe it's woodworking. Maybe they go into the garage and they just, they hammer that out and whenever they go there, that's their happy place. Um, I, I remember I spoke with a, with a friend. She, she said, hey, like one of her, one of her happiest times is when she's reading to people. So whenever she's out there, she's like, and I, I found that it's in a, a couple of different settings. She's like, for some reason, imparting that wisdom or, or knowledge or story um, is just where I, when I feel my happiest, right? So what she started doing is she started reading at libraries. This is you know, before pandemic, but reading at libraries, reading at nursing homes and stuff like that. And she's like, I don't know how to potentially you know, turn this into a you know, a, a lifestyle or occupation. You know, I don't know if anybody can be a professional reader, but I said, well, you have people that narrate audiobooks all the time. Like, that's that's a real thing, you know, or voice actors. And, you know, she was like, oh yeah, I never thought of that. I'm like, there you go. And, and so it's finding that flow that I think is super massively important for people to realize. And I think, like you said, a lot of people have never experienced that, which is really fascinating because you would think at some point in time, like that would have naturally happened to you. You just probably never knew it. Mm, it's fascinating. And that's why it's kind of fun to, to keep these things top of mind because, you know, so many of the interventions in the world of positive psych, they, they make sense at a theoretical level, but they're absolutely garbage unless you put them into play. You know, it was one of the things that I really enjoyed hearing from the start. You know, on the very first day I started studying it, I remember the lecturer said, 
you can't get into this if you just want to understand the concepts and explain it to other people. This is only going to work if you start to massage it into your everyday because the proof's in the pudding, you know, and it's, it starts to happen in a way that's far more organic as people go, well, what's something must be in the water. What's going on with this person? You know, what, why is it that this is how it is that they roll? But you've got to be able to speak from your own experience. And so I think that's a lot of where it starts is you've got to be self-analytical. You know, you hear about the concept of flow. You say, cool, I get it. But now you've got to spend the next couple of months going, does this ever happen to me at any point in any of my tasks? And if not, are there other things that I might want to get involved in to see if it happens? Yes. Self, you know that self-awareness to be able to realize when it's happening is the most important because if you if you never understand when it's happening, you're, you're never going to be able to capitalize it and use it. So and it's amazing. I was going to say to you that the whole self-analytical thing. You know, <laughs> there's a guy named Nigel Marsh. He had this quote that I loved. He said something like, "Do you know there are billions of people leading a life of quiet desperation, working for um, jobs they hate to buy money to impress people um, that they don't like?" <laughs> Which I just thought it's, it's, it's fascinating and so unnerving. Uh, but I think a lot of that comes from just having blinkers on. You know, people get in this survival mode, and everything they're doing is because they have to. I got to wake up because the alarm went off. I got to go to work so I can get the money. I got to get the money so I can pay my mortgage. And then you look around and 40 years have passed by. You know, there's there's got to be more to it. And I think the reason why for a lot of people. Um, that's all there is, is because they don't want to pick up the mirror. They don't want to spend that time on the self-analysis. Yeah, and the self-analysis is, is to figure out what's there. I think another point that you, you, we got to take those baby steps because I, I get it, right? You know, both of us have recent one-year-old daughters. No, no, nobody wants to be without a job, you know, living underneath a bridge with no, no, no way to pay for whatever. But you have to take the small steps that are a little bit... I don't want to use the word safe, but that are easier to fall down from, to come back from, to say that that's, that's not there. Now, to pivot the conversation, the last one that I want to touch on is, how do you go about sharing this life's work so more people can experience it? You know, with people, um, I guess, having a, definitely a different uh, life's work or a different passion, whatever it may be, how do we go about best illustrating that to others so that way they can find theirs? Yeah, it's it's a funny one. You know, only only this year and in the wake of the pandemic have I started to pay a bit more attention to trying to push my message in a way that's digital. You know, it's kind of funny when the pandemic first hits, um, I started punching out all these videos on LinkedIn. There was a period where I was doing sort of three or four a week um, and then it occurred to me after a while, I couldn't work out, am I doing these because I'm trying to help people or am I doing these because I'm bored and because I'm in my house and I'm going crazy or am I, you know, is it a marketing exercise or why am I doing it? And so, you know, there's got to be an authenticity to it. And so I think, you know, the question I'd be asking is why is it that you need to share your life's work? You know, if you think it's going to add value, then absolutely go right ahead. But it brings me to this thing I read a couple of years ago and I found it fascinating. It was the amazing breakthrough that people can have if they accept the idea that, or embrace the mundane. You know, and I know it's kind of a funny way of putting it, but I think a lot of people in this age have this idea that they're not successful unless they're 
you know, up in front of people. They've got an enormous audience. People are clapping them. They're getting high fives. There are accolades. There are things showering down on them. But what that means is that if that's if that's what you're pursuing and, and that's the only thing that equals success, then if things seem kind of humdrum or middle of the road, then you're you're a failure or you have you, you haven't you haven't pulled it off. And you know, I've got heaps of theories around why it is. You know, social media is a big one. You know, everyone trying to get their fifteen their fifteen seconds or nudge themselves into the spotlight. Um, but yeah, I, I guess that'd be my answer, Mike. You know, do, do, do you need to? How far do you need to push that message? Because if your if your life's work or your level of influence reaches only the people in your immediate family or those around you that you care about that you want to impact in a way um, that, that's to do with kindness and love, then maybe that's enough. You know, because the the ripple spreads. It spreads out of you into someone that's known you into someone else. Um, you know, we're, we're tribal social creatures, and so. It's a fascinating thing that, for, for me, I, I wouldn't even overthink. And, and the thing is, that's a, that's, a, that's a really good way to, to put it, um, because sometimes it doesn't need to be a large, grandiose something or other. You know, you don't need to have millions of followers or be on a stage somewhere or have the entire world know your name. Um, sometimes it could be just your, your small circle. And so I think, you know, what the heart of it is there is you have to find what success means to you you know what what that life's means what that life or life's work mean to you like when is you've reached the the spot in which you're comfortable with where the need your skills and and everything kind of align like what does that look like and, and if you find it very quickly and it works for you then run with it until until you know, there's no need to, to kind of constantly have this chasing this carrot, chasing this thing until, you know, you run yourself on the ground being exhausted, you know, because you feel like you found your passion, but now you can't turn it over monetarily or, or spiritually or it doesn't work or something like that. Like, be okay if you found that success point to say, hey, this is my success point. If, I, if you want to pivot again from there, that's fine. But just make sure that you understand where, I don't want to say your limits because I think that's a bad term is is find out where you're comfortable being that's it and and think about your measurement you know I think it's so easy to say success equals money but it doesn't you know the the true wealth is the soul health and so if you're thinking about success in your own way uh, then it's then it turns it into something that becomes a very personal goal and so the way that you choose to measure it um, is also going to impact your assessment of whether you got there. You know, it's a funny thing, you know, because all I ever do is find myself talking about the pursuit of optimism and well-being, you would like to hope that that's one of those lifetime things. You know, I, I teach people communication all the time, and it's a great example. I'll, I'll meet someone who'll say, oh, communicating, don't worry, mate, you haven't got to teach our people that. They already know how to do it. <laughs> I always have to chuckle because, you know, surely you would hope that becoming happier, becoming a better communicator, you know, becoming someone whose well-being is is rarely compromised, becoming someone who's resilient, who's agile, who can bounce back from adversity, who can navigate change. Isn't that one of those things that you would hope to never reach the summit of? You know, you would hope that it's one of those lifetime endeavors that you're forever in a learning headspace for. I think it's the smartest way to play it. It keeps the whole thing a journey and it means you never pause. You, you never get to pause and dust off your shoulders and say, hey, I did it. You know, I'm refined. I am the me that is now going to get tattooed and stamped. You're, you're on it. You're a work in progress. And that, and that brings it back to like a full circle in which you have to enjoy the journey, right? Because if, if there's never going to be a finish line, then you just have to keep 
putting one foot in front of the other. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so perfect. I think you got a lot of good stuff here. Want to be um, respectful of your time, so I'm going to run down you know the top highlights here and let me mm -hmm. know if I missed anything. Sure thing. First and foremost, when we're trying to figure out our life's work, a couple of things that we want to take into account are find skills that are transferable, that you can kind of test out on a regular basis um, to see what really works, the things that you enjoy doing, the things that are core to your values, that your structure that you're gonna be happy with doing for the rest of your life. Find a good ratio in your next role, side hustle, occupation that you are comfortable in, in how to do those things. You're not gonna find 100% in everything, but if you can find 70, is that good enough? If you can find 90, is that good enough? If it's 50, that's good enough? Just find what that ratio looks like to you. Um, when you take your experience to try and figure out what those items are, make sure you review your experiments afterwards to see what you liked, what you didn't like, how to pivot, what aspects of it that you want. That way you can capitalize it um, in the future going forward. Um, number one, or number four is enjoy the pursuit of it because if you're not enjoying the pursuit of it then it's probably not going to be your passion probably not going to be your life's work if you're having if you're not enjoying every little bit of it and there, there might there might be some times in which you might not enjoy every single piece but once you get, once again find that ratio there's going to be 10 percent that's going to be grunge work but if you enjoy 90 that's okay um and then other one was find what success means to you and find a way to get there. So if that's, you know, you want to hit special milestones that you have, but make sure that you find what success means so that way you can be happy and meeting those steps along the way. And then probably the most important is in identifying what your life's work is, finding that flow state or that Zen time period in which whatever you're doing, the rest of everything melts away. So nothing exists but what you're doing and you're so happy that you can't even believe that you get to do that particular thing. Because when you can do that and everything else melts away, that is your happy place. So find a way to do that as much as possible. On the money. And the, the, you know, the beautiful thing about the flow state is it's something that gives you energy, you know? So when I, when I talk to places about it, you know, I'll say to them, if you've got your people playing to their strengths, you know, 75, 85% of the time, well, two things start to happen. One, of course, they're more productive, they're more efficient, they're better at their job. And so there's that sort of dirty bottom line business output that everyone's after. But the other more powerful thing, in my opinion, is it has a direct impact on people's levels of optimism and well-being. So they're happier when they're at work. And so you've got to think about the cultural impact, the ripple that resonates out of them into each other, into their teams, the company, and eventually the, the customer base as a whole. And surely that's what we're aiming for. Surely we're aiming for a gig where we know we get to play to our strengths the majority of the time. Playing to our strengths is what we kind of focused on. So. I think this was perfect. We got four or five really good quality information and good nuggets of, of, of wisdom here. So, John, I got to say thank you so much for your time to be able to share this insight, share some time and really give people some a really good stepping stone and framework to be able to capitalize and find what they're all about. Michael, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for taking the time to hang out with me. I, I love Idea Prov and everything you're doing, and I hope this is the beginning of an ongoing friendship. <laughs> Wonderful. Me too. For all you listeners out there, Thank you so much for joining us for another episode. We'll definitely put um, John's transcendent um, information in the description so that way you can kind of link in and get in touch with him if it's something that you want to dive into a little bit further. Um, and stay tuned after the break for the Idea Prov Insight.
For this idea prop inside, I want to share with you a new medical breakthrough, which is the ability for scientists and now doctors to identify odorous markers for neurodegenerative diseases such as Parkinson's. So through the sebum on the skin, which is the stuff that keeps us waterproof, it varies between age and diet and sex and a whole bunch of other factors. But that uh, makeup and compound changes with us whenever we're more healthy versus whenever we might be showing signs of disease. So they were able to kind of find and track this in a small study, but it shows some great promise for being able to early detection for some of these diseases. So I wanted to share with you great article. Um, read up on it. It's really interesting stuff. Until next time.